you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to 1 John. 1 John is where we're going to be this morning. Marvelous study that's written by the man named John, the beloved disciple, part of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John were part of that inner circle of Jesus, the three that were with him always. James and John brothers, Peter and Andrew brothers, both were fishermen. Both had known each other before the time of Jesus calling them because they all fished right up there in the northern region of the Sea of Galilee, and likely they were competitors. I dare say one boat said, eat tonight at James and John's restaurant, and Peter and Andrew said, no, ours is fresher. You know, they were competitors. And when Jesus said, come follow me, both dropped their nets, both came after him, and both groups became fishers of men, never to go back to the nets of Galilee. John lived to be an old man. He was called probably as a disciple somewhere in his late teens, maybe 18, 19, maybe 20. He wrote the letter of 1 John and the book of Revelation somewhere between 90 and 100 A.D., So if Jesus died, according to our Gregorian calendar, about 29 A.D., if John was, say, 20 when Christ called him, that would have been about 26, 27 A.D. If he wrote it in 97 A.D., that's 70 years. If he was 20 when Christ called him, he was 90 when he wrote this letter. He had a lot of life between between the time he met Christ and the time he wrote this letter. I told you last week that originally the Gospel of John, which is this historic account of Jesus' life, traveled together with these five chapters of 1 John. John tells us who Jesus was. 1 John tells us how should we live because we know Jesus. John is the historical account of his life. 1 John is the moral account of how do we live for him. And so when we read 1 John, it's a great text for every believer to use as a score, as a measure, to say, how am I doing? I dare say this morning in this room, the vast majority, if not all of you, I don't know everybody here, the vast majority, if I said, give us your testimony, most of you would start by saying, I'm a Christian. But I have to ask you, then what does that mean to you? Because today there are many who claim to be Christians whose lives certainly do not reflect that, whose moral living, whose moral uh, uh, character does not reflect that, whose mouths do not reflect that, whose habits do not reflect that. So it's not a question of do you think you're a Christian? The question is against the mirror of God's word, as I look into the mirror of his word, do I qualify to be a Christ follower? Is there enough evidence, if you've heard the old saying, if, there's, if Christianity was declared a crime, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian? The purpose of Christian life is intimacy with Christ. We know he loves us. The Bible says he commended his love for us and that while we were planning our next sin, while we were still sinning, while we were with a group saying, what do you want to do now to go against Christ? He came and died for us. The Bible says in Genesis, he came seeking man. In the days of Noah, he came and sought out Noah. In the days of establishing a nation, he sought out Abraham at 75 and said, come with me. Man doesn't reach up to God. That's religion. Man doesn't find God by accident. He doesn't trip one day over a mountain and say, I discovered God. God always has to condescend and come find us. There's a great gulf. This is flesh. God is spirit. I'm limited. God is limitless. I'm finite. He's infinite. That there's nothing in me except being originally made in his image that really is like him in any way. And when Jesus came in flesh, he came for two reasons. One, we had long since forgotten what did God intend us to be. God said, here's my exhibit A, see Jesus. 
This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the son of man. If you want to know what a godly man is, watch him. When they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was so overcome. He wanted to build three tabernacles and he wanted to hear a little bit of sermon and he wanted to do the talking. And God said, Peter, hush. That's living Bible. This is my son. Hear him. So not only is Jesus the embodiment of what man's to be, but he's also the fullness of God in the bod- God, fullness of God in bodily form. So if you want to know what God's like, you ought to study Jesus. You ought to come to know Jesus. You ought to work with Jesus. Why? He is all of God in human form. Well, intimacy is what we seek. Today there are many people who are terribly lonely, though they have gazillion friends on Facebook. That is not a friend. There's some of you who spent a lifetime together. I've told you this before. When I was a young man, I'd come to a funeral. I'd see white-haired saints of God pass by a coffin and wonder, why are you crying? You, you know your loved one's with the Lord. Now I'm old. I get it. The time you've invested in building a lifetime of friendship with another person, when they go before you in death, you realize, I don't have 60 years to build that level of friendship again. We raised our children together. We watched them go to camp together. We watched them graduate together. We watched with each other's weddings when they got married. We celebrated our first grandchildren together. And when that one goes before you, you weep tears, not for their destiny, they're with the Lord, but because you realize, I'll not have that long to build that level of intimate friendship again. There's some of you I've known for 31 years. And I know you as well today as I did when I came. Hi, how are you? There are others of you that I've gotten to know in 31 years, and our relationship is much stronger because we've spent time together. And you see, the reason reason you want to be a friend to somebody is you want intimacy. I don't mean vulgar. I mean closeness of heart. Now, there's one you want to be intimate with physically, and that's a mate. And so the reason you stop dating and you get married is you say, I like you so well among all the other people I ever met. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want every morning to wake up looking at you. I want every night to say goodnight looking at you. I want every Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter to be with you. And that's intimacy, and you want that. But many, many people, forgive me, and I, I'm capable of being ugly. I, I didn't get up this morning to be ugly. I'm capable. I don't mean this ugly. But many people have no intimacy with God. You have a concept. You can give me the facts. You can quote verses. You've been to more Bible studies than Carter has liver pills. I mean, you can do all those things. But you still say, I I don't really think I know him. So I have to beg, it begs the question, are you truly... I'm asking honestly, and that's the text of the morning, are you truly a Christian, a Christ follower? Look with me in 1 John chapter 1. I want to begin with verse 3 of 1 John 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10, but 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. What we have seen and heard, now meaning of Jesus, he said we've seen the one who is from the beginning, Jesus. What we've seen and heard from Jesus, now that's what we tell you. So what's he saying? I'm not, I didn't come up with a sermon, thought I'd write it down. He said, I got this directly from the mouth of the Son of God. Pretty good source. What we've seen and heard, that's what we're declaring to you so that you may have fellowship. There it is. What's the goal of Christianity? Intimacy with God. Fellowship with us. Well, how do we have that openly? Because we have fellowship with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. 
We are writing these things so our joy may be complete or be full. We talked last week about that, last week about that word pleroma. It means absolutely overflowing. We, we're writing this to you so if you have fellowship with us and with God, our joy would be overflowing. So you pick up verse 5, and that's the text that we're going to begin today through verse 10. Now, this is the message, and if we had a Greek Bible, this would be an alliteration. Preachers have always loved to alliterate. The word message is really where we get our word angel from. In Greek, the word message is angelia, A-N-G-E-L-I-A, angelia. So he's going to do a play on words here. This is the angelia we have heard from him, and we on angelia to you. We've heard the message, and now we're giving the message away. We have angelia, we have the angelia, the message, and we have heard from him, and we on angelia, we're giving it away to you. Here it is. God is light. There is absolutely no darkness in him if, now there's five things he's going to say, three if we says, two that are other. Verse six, if we say... We have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness. We're liars and we are not practicing. That's what sets a Christian apart. Not what do you know? What are you doing? He says, if we say we're in the light, but we're walking in darkness, we are liars and we're not practicing the truth. Verse seven, but if, here it is again, not if we say, second if, if we walk in the light, As he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's that intimacy again. You can't have fellowship in a church, a marriage, a friendship. If Christ is not in the heart, you'll disintegrate. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. How is that possible? Because the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, the third if. Verse 8, if we say, I don't have any sin, we have no sin. We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, fourth if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fifth if is in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. God is light. That doesn't just mean the light of a radiant lamp. It means the sphere of moral holiness, of righteousness. God has no, God has no secrets. There's nothing about God that's covert. So, so often we, we talk about the power of light. We love light. And today with laser light, it's doing phenomenal things. All kinds of laser light shows can make things live that you thought, wow, how do they do that? Bible says God is light. The Gnostics believed in something we talked about last week. Gnostics was the primary heresy that John is battling. Gnostics believed in several things. One is they believe G-N-O means to know. It means the way that you get to know God is grow in your knowledge. And the more knowledge you have, eventually you're enlightened enough you can know God. That is absolutely false. No matter how smart you are, God is always more intelligent. No matter how much you grow in facts, God always has more because he's eternal and he's infinite. And so the Bible says it's by grace that you're saved, not by knowledge. It's by grace. Why? I don't deserve it. It's not by moral perfection because I can't qualify and you can't either. It's by grace that you're saved. Well, how do I get it? By faith. Why? I believe Jesus is the Son of God who lived a sinless life, who said, I will pay your penalty. I'll pick up your tab if you will trust in me. 
And there's some in this room who say, I'm not doing that. Well, then you pay your own penalty, which means separation from God forever because you're boneheaded. <laughs> you, you said, I'm not going to do that. Well, listen, God's not going to force you. He said, will you come? And some say, no. Well, then you've rejected your only out. And so here's what the Bible says. God is light. He lives in absolute purity. James says like this, God, we, we, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of light, now look at this, in whom there is no shadow of turning. In other words, when God, when God turns this way, his light is not on one side, and then there's a dark side, and there's a shadow cast when he turns. The, the, the moon has a dark side. I hate to say it, but you and I have a dark side. We don't like it. We try to dress up on Sunday so you won't see it. We smile and say the right words so you won't know it. We try our best to be on our good behavior so you won't pick up on it. But everybody here has a dark side except God. The Bible says God is fully light. In him there is no shadow. There's no blemish. There's no imperfection. There's no area that he casts any darkness or doubt. He is absolutely pure. Most of us are more concerned with our water than we are our relationship with God. We wouldn't dare drink water that was contaminated, but we don't really care what we see or what we say or what we think. And yet we say, but I'm a Christian. We let all kinds of things come into us that are impure, and we feed on it. The Bible said God is light. Now, there are many today who are Gnostics. You don't know you are, but you're Gnostic. Here's what Gnostics said. They had a belief called dualism. Here's what they said. We have some in the church. Brother Nick, when I sin, it's just my body. It's not my spirit. My spirit's pure. It belongs to God. Now, I, I know my sin. I, I know my flesh is weak, and I do things I shouldn't, but my spirit's pure. In other words, you believe there's a split down your, down your life. Uh, we had a president who could go to Easter service and meet a lady named Monica in the oral, Oval Office in the afternoon. We have a dichotomy. I have corridors. I go to church and I do what I want to. We have, we have people in church that do that. It says, my, my body's evil, but my spirit's pure. So if I sin, I'm not really affected the spirit. The spirit belongs to God, but he knows me. So when I do evil, he's not surprised. And, and he knows that. He just kind of like a grandfather winks and goes on. You're mistaken. God does not snicker at sin. Check out Noah's day. Check out Sodom and Gomorrah. Check out Isaiah 6 when he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and God cauterized his mouth with a hot cold. Does that sound like that's funny? Look at Calvary. Do you think God really thinks sin is amusing? The Bible said God is light. God does not have any blemish, and he does not put up with sin. God is holy, holy, holy. The Bible says God is light. Do you remember how many times in Scripture it talks about the light of God? Bible says in the beginning, first thing, what was the first thing God created? Let there be what? Light. His nature manifested. Moses at Sinai, the Bible says when he came down and met with Moses for 40 days, when Moses came down, the people looked away. They said, put on a veil. We can't stand to look at you. You know, so many times people say, you know, I've been praying. Well, if you have, you don't have to brag about it. But when you've been praying, your life begins to reflect the one you've been talking to. When Moses came down after 40 days, his face was radiant with the light of God, and he had put a veil in his face because just the reflection of God's light made his face so radiant. People were afraid to look at their leader. What an indictment on us. 
Bible says God is light. Do you remember when Jesus was born? The Bible says the angels shone in Bethlehem's fields and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The Mount of Transfiguration, it says Jesus' face become, became bright white and his clothes brighter than fuller soap could make them. If you remember in Scripture, it says the angel at the tomb, it, when, when, they, when those women got to the tomb, the, the, the angels were garbed in light. They were radiant with light just come from the throne of God. In Saul's conversion, it says he saw a bright light from the heavens. How bright was it? Made him blind for three days. The Bible says God is light. When Peter escaped from jail in Acts chapter 12, it says a great light. When the angel filled the cell and had to wake Peter up, it says a great light was in the cell. Listen, if you haven't been in the light lately, you hadn't been with God. I'm not talking about this kind of light. I mean, if you've not been where you literally felt everything in your soul exposed to the point you couldn't stand it till you confessed and got clean so that you could enjoy being in the presence of God, you hadn't been with him in a long time. God is light. James would say it like this. It's bad English, but it's great theology. James would say, God is light. There's no shadow of turning. It says, in him there is no darkness. Now, listen, this bad English, great theology. In Greek, the more negatives you put, the more you enforce the positive. So, it was that God is light, and in him there is no darkness, not none. He wouldn't have passed English, but that's great theology. How much darkness in God? There is no darkness, not none. Any questions? Today, I want you to see this because we live in a world that believes there's a cyclical view of history. We have something that so often shows up that on key rings. Some of you may have it on your back window, so please take it down. This is pagan. This is the picture of the East. It says we're in a continual cycle, light and darkness, good and evil, wholeness and sickness. We're in this constant cycle and, and day and night. And so the, when night comes, it's like that dark little funny-looking fish thing, and the darkness comes and pushes the light away, and the darkness rules for several hours, and the sun is working so hard to push back the darkness, and it finally gains control, and it pushes back to night, but then it comes again, and here comes the darkness, and it's a constant cycle. We don't live in a cycle. We live linear. In the beginning, God created. At the cross, God redeemed and at the end, God is coming to get us. That is not a circle. This was made popular in the Lion King, the circle of life. We paid good money to go see that. Pure Middle Eastern propaganda. We're not in a circle. We're not in a cycle. God and Satan are not equals battling for dominance. God is sovereign. Satan is defeated. And he's given his last few lashes before God casts him out forever. We're not in a battle. When Jesus shouted the cross, it is finished, you can put that in the bank. It is finished. He's done. And so if you're being held captive, a prisoner of war by the dark side, you ought to realize you don't have to live there. Your redemption has come, and you can be free. The Bible says you and I live in the light as he is in the light. Secondly, I want you to notice John gives us several if-thens, and here we go quickly, and I'm not going to linger there. These are pretty clear. First of all, he says, verse 6, 
If we say we have fellowship, remember the word fellowship is two men under a yoke. If you, if you say I'm walking so close to God, yesterday we were side by side. This morning when I came to church, I felt like he's just right here. Right now, Pastor, while you're teaching, I feel like he's just right here. Then you have fellowship. But if you say I haven't talked to him all week, I, I don't really read my Bible. In fact, I don't, I'm not sure I remember where I put my Bible. I, I don't really have any desire to serve him, and I, I don't remember I ever told anybody about him. And my wife and I don't have any time we ever talk to him over a meal or anything else. We, we, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really remember the last time he and I had a conversation. I ask you to start. Are you really a Christian? If you treated your spouse the way you treat God, would you be married? If you talk to your spouse with the frequency you talk to God, would you be married? If you gave to your spouse what you give to God, would you be married? Here's what he said. If if we say, I have fellowship with him. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go down there to Baptist church. Really? If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in moral darkness, time to time I'll have people ask me to do a funeral for daddy, mama, brother, sister, friend. And I'll say, did so-and-so know Christ? Well, he prayed the prayer. Huh. So what am I supposed to do with that? He, when he was nine, he prayed the prayer. How old is he? 86 and he died. Did he show any evidence of his walk with Christ? No. Your daddy teach you about the Lord when you children? No, his mouth pretty foul. Your daddy honorable in his dealings? Well, pretty much, but he's pretty tough on us and mama. I'm telling you, he's pretty rough. So, so you want me to preach him into heaven? I, I want to refer to John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with God, but we live in darkness, we're liars. Now look at this. What makes us a liar? We're not practicing the truth. You see, it's so easy to say a prayer and then have no fruit. Jesus compared it to four soils. He said, sometimes when you're casting seed, if you've ever seen a farmer broadcasting seed, on the edge of the field, there's always that part the farmer doesn't mow right up the fence and it's filled with Johnson grass and weeds and all that stuff, the corners. And he said, invariably, if you're just broadcasting seed, some falls in that thorny area and it comes up for a little while but that johnson grass grows faster than the good crop and it just chokes it out he said invariably when you're casting seeds some will fall on that path the farmer uses to get to and from the field and it's harder than the top of that desk i mean it's been walked on so long it's like asphalt and some of the seed falls on there and before it can germinate go in the ground germinate birds come and get it out of the ground said it never germinates it's gone that's two i'm already done and sometimes you cast a seed on, on soil, but it comes up and it, it's like western Oklahoma. It doesn't get rain in the proper time. It's just hot, hot, hot. So it comes up, but boy, the heat of the sun is such that poor little young plant just withers and dies because there wasn't any moisture. That's three out of the four that got a chance at the seed and are not his. No fruit. The fourth one, it said, fell on good soil. So wh- wh- where's the problem? Not with the seed. Seed's good seed. Not was I exposed to it. You're in church today. You, you know what it takes to be saved. You do. If not, you're going to know in a minute. 
So if the soil is bad, then the seed can't work in bad soil. Sometimes people's hearts aren't ready and willing. So the Bible says when he cast that seed, some fell on rocky soil, some fell in the weeds and thickets, some fell in the soil, but it was so hot with the cares of life, it withered and died. But there's that fourth soil, one out of four germinated and took root and bore seed and said some fell on good soil and it bore an abundant crop. That's those that really know him. Used to trouble me when so few people would come to know Christ until I realized in Jesus' parable only 25% that had a chance really really did it. He says, if we say, I didn't say it. John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk. What, what does walk mean? It means a constancy. I'm trying more and more to walk because I need to. And, and I don't say in the evenings, I'm going to count today. I, I'm going to just say I walked and I think that'll count. No. Well, I walked yesterday. I think that's enough probably for the week. No. See, if I'm going to be a walker, I got to walk what? Every day. And by the way, there are no shortcuts. When you're you're walking, you can't say, well, I'm going to let each step count for three and and say I walk a greater distance, but I'm really going to walk a third of the distance. No. See, it's not. Some of you say, well, I'm a Christian. Are you walking with Christ? Well, at nine, I, I came down front and I was baptized, and you're how old? 78. And that's your whole testimony. You lived your whole life and your only point of knowing Christ when you stand before him is, at nine, I prayed the prayer. God help us. He says, if we walk, what does that mean? Constancy, consistency, diligence, discipline. If we walk in darkness, we're lying. If we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we're lying, and we're not practicing daily the truth. But if we walk in the light, why, that's where he is. These people live in darkness and say, well, now you understand, I don't think God's going to hold me accountable. I didn't find any exceptions in the footnotes. Did you? I don't, I don't, now I don't think God meant that. Well, it's amazing. Christianity for centuries has said that what he meant. Where did you get the revelation? Because I do, I want to. Oh, I can tell a police officer, I didn't know it was a 60-mile zone when I was going 112. I, I, I thought it's surely 100. You think he's going to say, that's all right, Nick, you're a preacher. We understand dumb. We know that. You think? No. I can plead ignorance, but he's going to cuff me and take me away just like I pled guilty. Here's what it says. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, guess what? We have fellowship with each other, and we have fellowship with his son who cleanses. What does that mean? You ever known a church get to the point they hated each other, and one side sat on this side and one on the other, and buddy, you come in, it's just, bless me, I dare you look. And then they sing, he is Lord. Oh, how I love Jesus. What a mockery. Maybe that's why marriages are in such trouble. We're not walking in the light as he is in the light. Because if we walk in the light, his blood cleanses us from all sin, and we have fellowship with him and with each other. The more we have the vertical fellowship with him, the more we love each other. I can't tell you the number of times in 47 years of preaching, somebody would come to know Christ, and I'd see him the next week say, Brother Nick, it's just amazing. I have fallen in love with my wife and my job and my friends. I just, it's like everything's changed. Well, that's what he said he'd do. Old things are going to pass away. Do you have a B.C.? before Christ 
John makes it clear. He says, if we walk in the light, that's where God is. If you're going to walk, you ought to walk in the light with him. You ought to be morally pure. And by the way, you're not going to do that by good intentions. You see, I've told you before, I love being with Carter. I love my granddaughters, but they're still a little young for dad to take, granddad to take them any place. Carter's five years away, have a good time. And when I want Carter to go where I'm going, I don't say, now, son, try your best keep up. Here goes Poppy. You be, come on, keep up, keep up. Come on now, come on. No, 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 no. When I want him to go where I go, what do I do? Come here, son. I take him by the hand. I say, come on now. Come with Pop. Come on. You trying to live the Christian life, are you? How's that working for you? I can tell you, miserable. When you say, God, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't live in absolute purity. I can't withstand every temptation and trial. I can't make it with the way my heart's hurting. I, I, I'm going through so much stuff. Can you help me? You think he's going to say, no. No, I saved you. Buck up, buddy. Get after it. No. When your child or grandchild looks at you and says, would you help me? Yes. You want to walk with God in the light? When's the last time you said, would you please help me? Look what it says. If we say, verse 8, I don't have any sin. I, I don't know who you think you're talking to, Brother Nick. It's Sunday morning crowd. I've been in this church 40 years. Who do you think you're talking to? It doesn't matter who I think. I'm just presenting the pizza from the fresh bread of heaven. Here's what he said. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not as we don't really say we don't have sin. Here's what we say. Well, I just don't think that's wrong. You know, we've, we've changed so much in the church. Today, we've accepted so much. There's not much sin left, is there? <laughs> I mean, we start tearing out pages of the Bible that used to be sin, not sin now. Our Bible's going to go down to a mini version, isn't it? we got to have a book of tweets because we've changed so much. So I, don't, I don't think that's so bad. Our favorite Hebrew word. That's not so bad. That's not so bad. Do you think a coach wants to have a player that spends all his time in practice? The coach says, come on now, come on now. You say, that wasn't so bad. I did pretty good on that block. You think he's going to play Friday night or Saturday? Why do we tell God, God, I don't like your set of laws. No other gods before me. You know, I like you, but not enough to follow you every week. I mean, the good night, you got to have a life. I can't live that way. Are you a Christian? God, you don't really expect me to give my money. I mean, you know how hard I work for that money? You, 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 you don't expect me. You shall have no other gods before me. That means a tithe is mine. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was in the Old Testament. Oh. And so grace is less expensive that costs Jesus his son than a tenth of your income. Lord, you don't really expect me to tell anybody about you, do you? Do you? Did you see Joseph Habedank stand here a minute ago? Young, articulate, 
great voice, and he was right. If you just looked at him, there's no reason to say, boy, I wish I'd gotten to live my life like him. He doesn't know what it is to hurt. You ever been addicted to something? Some of you are now or now. I never met a chicken leg I don't like. And it shows. I hate going to my doctor. He always says you need to eat less. And the minute he says that, I have visions. I don't like him. Anybody here addicted? Any you men addicted to sights you ought not be seeing? Any of you women addicted to talking about things you ought not talk about? Any you addicted to going places you really know you shouldn't go and kind of look around when you're there? I hope we don't see anybody we know. If we say, if we say we don't have any sin, well, it doesn't matter. Some say, God, I don't think that's sin. By the way, the judge doesn't care what you think about the law. He's going to honor the law. Do you hear me? In America, we want to change our constitution. Why? Well, I don't feel like that sort of law has no feeling. Law is absolute. And our judge is an absolutely righteous judge. So if we say, I don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves. And by the way, God's truth isn't in us. You're a Christian. Are you Are you sure? And then he says this, I love this verse, verse 9. If we confess our sins, this is so good. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. I'm not. You're not. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just or righteous. Boy, if I'm going to stand before a judge, I want one that's crooked. I want one that's right. The judge we stand before is just and righteous. Now look at this. He's just and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because in verse 8 it says, or verse 7 it says, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now look at this. If we confess, now listen to me. I'm about through. Don't miss this. Confession doesn't mean, boy, I'm going to be caught and Janine's going to kill me if she finds out. Boy, I got to get this right. I've seen people come down the aisle, they'll kneel and they'll squall. Carry carry on four people, pray with And I think what happened, I said, I hope my wife doesn't find out. You're not sorry for your sin. You're just trying to avoid the punishment. What's that called? Repentance? remorse I'm about to be caught I don't want to be caught and so if I look like I'm really sorry before she finds out maybe when I tell her that's why I was at the altar I, I just knew you go find out I couldn't stand it did it dawn on you you sinned against God does that bother you in the least when David committed sin with Bathsheba you know what he said strangest statement Against thee and thee only. Pardon me? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. You committed adultery with a woman? You had her husband killed? Have you forgotten them? No. But what I did to God as the king of Israel 
It makes what I did to them pale by comparison. I offended a holy God who put me in power as a leader to lead his people in righteousness. Oh, God, please don't take your spirit from me. You're a Christian? What does confess mean? It's from two Greek words. Homo. Homo means same. Homo, logeo. Logos means word. The word confess is, I'm going to call sin what God called it and get rid of it. Why do some of us not leave church with a sense of being forgiven? We're not honest. Well, God, I, I messed up. He said, you did, but I'm not listening. God, I got this tendency. Yeah, you do, but I'm not listening. God, I, 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 I've got this weakness. He said, yeah, you got a bunch of them, but I'm not listening. Do you remember when your mama would catch you doing something you shouldn't do? And she asked the dumbest question, what are you doing? You really think she's asking for information? She's looking right at you. What's she saying? Do you realize what you did? I want you to tell me. I used to, I've told you this. I hated my daddy to whip me. He felt led to give me a three-point message and an invitation and then whip me. And in the invitation, he'd say, now I want you to tell me, son, what did you do? And if I didn't get it right, I got another three points. He'd give another invitation. What did you do? When's the last time you went before God and took off your piosity and said, God, here's what I am. And here's what I've done. I don't deserve anything but your wrath. I beg for your mercy. If we confess, if we call sin the same thing God calls it. Now look at this. People are not always faithful. The reason some of you are hurting is you told what you did to a trusted friend and they got on Facebook and you died a thousand deaths thinking, how could you do that? I trusted you and you told that? Your friend wasn't faithful. And some of you are thinking you're going to hide it and then when you thought you'd gotten it hidden, Satan exposes it and then everybody knows it and you die a thousand deaths in shame. There's one person you can tell that's faithful. The Lord God. God, I've sinned against you. I'm so sorry. No excuse. I've sinned against you. No, no excuse. I beg you for your mercy. I don't deserve it. I deserve your worst wrath. I deserve to be exposed for the fraud I am. God, I don't deserve any, any favor. I'm so sorry. You had a meeting like that with God recently? If we confess our sin, look at this. He's faithful. Now look at this. And he's a just judgment. He doesn't bend, he doesn't bend the law. When we say I've sinned, he say, yeah, you did. You violated my law. But that's when God steps down from the bench and takes off his robe and puts on the mantle of the word made flesh. He's just to forgive us. Why? Because his only begotten son came into the world to take on himself the sins of all who would confess and believe. And so the righteous judge takes off his judicial robes to put on the robes of the sacrificial lamb of God. And with nail-pierced hands, when you say, I'm so sorry, can you receive me? 
Jesus Christ, Son of God, <laughs> reaches down with a nail-pierced hand. He says, I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting on you. Faithful and just, look at this. To forgive us, but don't miss this part. See, a four-legged lamb could meet the requirement of the law and cleanse my sin, could, could forgive my sin, pay for my sin. But even though I'd put my head on the hand, hands on the head of a lamb and had the lamb's throat cut and took the blood to the altar for cleansing, I, I still left with guilt. I, I'd done what the law required, but I just couldn't get it off my mind. But here's where the two-legged lamb of God sure beats a four-legged sheep. He's faithful to forgive us, and look at this, to cleanse us. Isn't that good? When I go out this time of year and mow the yard, I hate it. I hate the smell. I hate how I feel. I hate that shirt sticking to my back. I hate breathing dust. I get the back door and get off those old wet clothes, go get a shower, and go back and put them right back on. Right? Y'all not listening to me, are you? Did you know I've known people come and get God's forgiveness and leave in the same robes they came in? I don't want to change. I just want a little relief. And you put right back on those filthy rags. The Bible says if you've really been forgiven, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us and to give us the robe of righteousness. One last if. If we say we, we've not sinned, preacher, I don't know who in the world this sermon, you, you should have done this to revival some other church. I don't know who you think you're talking to. It says if we've not sinned, if we say we've not sinned, we make God a liar. So if you tell me you haven't sinned, it's not that I don't like you. I'm not going to believe you. You say, Brother Nick, I don't know who you, I, I'm just not that kind of person. And you've just said, God, you're a liar. <laughs> I don't know how, where you grew up, but if I said when I was a boy, somebody would lie, my mama would soap in my mouth. Don't you ever say that about somebody. Do you want to really look at God in the face and say, you're a liar. I'm not a sinner. The altar's open. You can come in a minute and shout it. But when you do... It's a reflection on you, not on him. You're a Christian? You sure? Enough evidence to convict? For as we say, we walk in the light. As he is in the light, we have intimate fellowship with him and with each other. But if we say we walk in the light... And live in darkness, we're a liar. And we make him a liar because we are not practicing the truth. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something about where you stand. If you're a Christian in good standing, then you can thank God for his mercy. If you're a Christian who needs to recommit your life to Christ because the cares of this world have choked out your joy, the altar's open. If you're one president, you say, Brother Nick, I'm not a Christian. I don't have to be convinced. I'm not a Christian. And I'm going to ask you in a minute, would you come? Pastors will be here in the front. I'm going to ask you today to be bold enough to finally say, Brother Nick, I've put it off too long. 
You don't have to convince me. I know I am not a Christian. I don't know him. I don't know him. Listen, I'd not rather you admit it today than to die and stand in eternity and hear him say, I don't know you. Do you know him? If not, I want you to come in a minute and say to a pastor, I need Jesus. Maybe some of the rooms say, I know him, Brother Nick, but I've never followed him in baptism. So basically, you're ashamed of him. If you won't confess him in a church, we don't have to wonder if you're going to confess him out, out in the world. Have you ever taken that step of baptism to say, I'm not ashamed to show that he washed away my sins and raised me to a new life? I don't know what he wants you to do. Best ability I've shared with what John said. Responsibilities off my shoulders. I've done everything I know to say and do. Now, what are you going to do with it? Stand with me, would you? Father, this morning in this place, we've had a very clear expose from your servant John about what it means to be a follower of Christ. We can pretend and wear masks and go through the games and the motion and so often what we call normal Christianity so anemic it doesn't offend or empower anybody. You didn't ask us if we're Baptists. You didn't ask us if we're members of a church. You didn't say are you good people. You said are you like your Heavenly Father? Because if we walk in intimacy and closeness and fellowship with God, then we're going to take up the attributes of the one we've been with most often. I believe there's some in the room who say, Brother Nick, years ago I could say I did walk with God, but that's been a long time ago. Then you need to come this morning and come home to Jesus in open confession and ask him to restore the joy of your salvation if you're truly a Christian. Some of you may say, Brother Nick, all my life I've wrestled. I'm not really sure that I know him. Listen, please don't waste eternity. If you say, I don't know that I know him, would you come this morning and give him your heart and give him your life? Listen, he's coming after you. It's not a question of does he want fellowship with us. All the ifs are about us. If we say, if we do, it's about us. He's made it clear what his desire. He desires us and to know us. So the burden now is on us. What are you going to do with him? I ask you today, let him into your life. The altar's open. Father, I pray you'll speak to our hearts. Draw people to yourself. Help us not to resist you, but help us to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.